0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW, void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be discussing readers' dilemmas about a husband who wants to give up travel to babysit instead a partner who's becoming really pushy about issues around adoption and an engagement ring that could use a little work. Here to help me out is Nicole Chung. She's the author of A Living Remedy and All You Can Ever Know. And she gives amazing parenting advice as a columnist for Slate's Care and Feeding. Hey, Nicole, thank you for being here.
2: Thanks so much, Janae. It's great to be back. This is actually my second time on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you.
1: Well, speaking of the first time you were on, I think I remember hearing that episode as a listener who um, never knew I would become Dear Prudence. And I think that's the first time I DM'd you just to say your advice was so amazing. I thought you were so, so good.
2: Oh, thank you. I mean, I've been following your work for a really long time um, and like previous advice columns. I'm like a huge fan. So thanks again for asking me. Well,
1: I'm also going to ask you for something else, which is one piece of unsolicited advice.
2: Maybe this is just like my age and like situation in life. But like, I really wish that I had like started taking breaks from work to like stretch my neck and back. Oh, my God. At a younger age, because now I'm in my 40s and my back is just like really messed up. I mean, like the writing life. Um So however much you think that you are stretching, like you need to do more than that, like so much more. Um, I don't know. I think that's like useful advice, like for pretty much everybody of any age. And I figure you probably get a lot of like people saying like, guard your boundaries, guard your energy. And I totally, totally endorse all of that, but also like move your neck. Anyway. (laughs)
1: Um, I couldn't agree more. I was someone who until maybe... Three years ago, um, I didn't even stretch or warm up before I exercised. I just thought it was too boring and I didn't really feel like it was doing anything. Same. And now I have um, a whole routine. I have like a thing that I have to lie on on the ground to, you know how your neck naturally goes forward if you're typing and texting all day? Like it's meant to kind of undo that. So I'm supposed to work up to lying on that for 15 minutes a night. Um, It's such a big deal. I mean, I have like a posture corrector. And all this could have probably been avoided with regular stretching in the past.
2: And and like I assume like all like parents and writers, you have like nothing but time to right. do all of this.
1: <laughs> I tried to multitask because my therapist wants me meditating for five minutes a day and my chiropractor wants me stretching for five to fifteen. So I'm trying to kind of I don't think this is the right mindset, but I'm trying to multitask by doing them at the same time.
2: Whatever gets it done.
1: Exactly. Okay, well, that is wonderful, concrete advice, and I hope everyone listens to you. So with that, Nicole and I will dive into your questions after a short break. Can't get enough dear prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudyplus. welcome back you're listening to dear prudence and i'm here with nicole chung let's get started with our first letter it's titled destinations not diapers
3: what is the rule for input on a spouse's choices that affect you My husband and I have been married for 10 years. He has two daughters from his previous marriage. They were teenagers when we were married. And while I have a decent relationship with both of them, I'm not particularly close with either. His eldest daughter recently told us she was pregnant. My husband is thrilled, but I'm less so because our daughter asked him to take care of her child a couple of days a week. My husband and I just retired early and had some big plans for traveling. His daughter works from home and has a really flexible schedule. So he would come over to her house two days a week just to help. He wouldn't be fully in charge of the baby. My husband is thrilled. I am not. Our carefree travel when we want plans for the future are quickly becoming impossible. He's already canceled a trip that I really, really wanted to go on because we would only be getting back a week before the due date and he wants to be home in case something happens. For reference, his daughter has her mother, her in-laws, and a husband to help. I mentioned that he's canceling plans we've already made to provide help to a daughter who doesn't need it. She could get by using other means. It just won't be easy for her. I wouldn't mind if my husband watched his grandchild when we were home. I just don't want to cancel our plans for my stepdaughter's convenience. My husband says I'm being selfish. Am I in the wrong here?
1: Okay, listen, I understand how exciting it is to plan a trip. And I understand not wanting to cancel it. I don't think I've taken a vacation since pre-COVID. And if I had one, I mean, I've had time off work. I just haven't had a you know gone on a vacation. If I had one planned and it got pulled out from under me, I would also be annoyed. That said, something about this letter feels like it was written by an alien pretending to be human. (laughs) Meaning, like it feels like it's just totally missing an understanding of the idea that a grandfather might wants to be around his grandchild. There's emotion there. There's a natural desire for closeness there. It just seems like she completely does not get that.
2: Yeah. I think it would be fine if he had decided he still wanted to go on the trip and get back and like be cutting it that close. Lots of grandparents like aren't present or aren't close by. Like, At the actual birth, but Mm -hmm. he wants to be there for his daughter. Right. um, And he, I think he should be able to be. Also, like most people don't have like the carefree ability to travel whenever they want anyway. I find it hard to believe too that like this grandchild will be like the only possible like barrier to any plan she ever wants to make. It almost feels like she's looking for a reason, like they're looking for a reason to be upset about Mm. this. Um, But yeah, I also didn't like how. Like the letter writer points out, there are so many other relatives present. I'm like, well, relatives aren't interchangeable. If she wants her dad and he wants to be there, like, it doesn't matter how many other people are on hand.
1: This is not um, dog sitting.
2: No, No. It's
1: not like you can just get anyone and once someone's there, it's fine. And if someone else is there, you should have no desire to be there. It's a baby
2: yeah, I will say it's very hard to find a dog sitter for my very anxious dog.
4: but <laughs> but like I hear what you're saying. And also
2: my so my in-laws were actually out of the country when I gave birth to mm. my first child. And I'm not upset about this. i it was a similar thing. Like they booked the trip, and they weren't planning to be like, there or at the bar center anyway. But I did think it was really funny how they were convinced I just like wouldn't go into labor really? while they were <laughs> while they were gone. They were like, yeah, like it's a first baby. I'm sure you'll go all the way to 40 weeks or after. Mm-hmm. I've delivered both my kids now at 38 weeks. Oh, wow. So like lesson learned. And like, again, I'm, I, we were not upset about it, but it did mean like they had to receive the news. I think my sister-in-law ended up calling their hotel and they heard many hours later, which- Oh, wow which they then was not how they would have normally wanted to like get the news, you know? So like, just recognize like, it's a choice. Um, it's like ideally when they would be on the same page about, but I don't feel like it's right to just insist that, that he risk missing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the larger question of ongoing childcare, right. I thought like, I, again, I I understand wanting to have both time together and to be able to, Like be agile and and make spontaneous decisions and go on trips. But I don't think that like just because you're maybe providing or helping with childcare a couple times a week Mm -hmm. that you couldn't still say things like, well, but not this week or not this month because we are doing XYZ.
1: I agree with the actual birth. I'm glad you pointed out that grandparents don't actually have to be there and many aren't, but he does want to. So yeah, I think we need to separate these two issues. The first one is the child coming into the world and he wants to be there. And it is unfortunate that this planned trip will have to be canceled. Yeah. Um, That sucks. It's kind of how life works sometimes, but that's a separate issue from the ongoing helping out, like you said. And I don't think that has to be a huge crisis. I think the letter writer is kind of escalating this emotionally because she's upset about the current plans that are being canceled, but it's really possible to plan things far in advance So I think the two of you could easily get your vacations on the book for the next couple of years and tell your husband's daughter she needs to make alternate arrangements for those times. Now, it sounds like it wouldn't be impossible. Side note, am I reading correctly that she's going to be working full-time from home with the baby?
2: It seems like.
1: So the letter writer made it seem like she doesn't need that much help. She's going to be home. I'm reading it as oh no, she's going to be desperate for help because she's going to be working and parenting all the time unless someone is there. That said, there are other people in the picture. It sounds like you two have some extra money to throw around. Maybe you could even help with paying for some childcare if you're going to be gone.
2: There's a pot.
1: I don't think this has to be catastrophic at all. I wonder about how it will influence the letter writer's relationship with her partner because she just seems to totally lack any feelings or emotion toward this grandchild for many grandparents, a grandchild is the absolute center of their lives. You know, my mom sends people pictures of my son. And sometimes I'm like, mom, I don't know if necessarily all of your friends, especially the ones who don't have kids probably care that much or need that many pictures. And she's like, I don't care. If They don't like it. You know, they're not for me. So that's how grandparents are about their grandchildren. I just, I th- think it might be worth some work to figure out how you're going to deal with the fact that he has something else that he really, really cares about in his life, regardless of how many hours a week it takes up or how it works with your travel schedule.
2: Yeah. I mean, ideally they would be approaching this together as a team, figuring out what they can and want to, and are able to offer in terms of support, whether it's practical or like babysitting, or like you had mentioned, the possibility of even helping out financially mm-hmm. you know it would be great and i know this is her stepdaughter but still like it sounds like there's still like a fundamental like, family relationship there mm-hmm. and it seems like you should be having a discussion with your partner if you're able to do that about like what the two of you together like want your presence to be in mm-hmm. this child's life and how you want to help the family And if that looks different, then you try to like compromise and figure that out, I guess. But it seems like that discussion is not really happening. Um, And I think it is because, as you say, the letter writer doesn't seem like really open to having it or finding that shared way forward. Mm -hmm. Like they're very much focused on their feelings about how this changes their life and affects their travel. And I think that's understandable to a point. But, yeah, it just needs to be a conversation conversation. And regarding ongoing childcare, I don't think it has to be a huge problem. I agree with you there. I think they could also just try it and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Like you don't really know how disruptive something will be until you try it. And I I do really like your idea too, about trying to kind of set travel plans ahead of time Yeah, because that will help. You know, they should be able to work something out with their village.
1: Right. And keep in mind too, typically it's, three years or less before a child is in preschool or something full-time. Yeah. So this isn't forever. Um, That's I really would good think point. of this more as a hiccup. And instead of focusing on how upsetting and disappointing it is, I think I would advise a letter writer to try to be concrete with making plans going forward. So on the one hand, saying to your husband, okay, I'm disappointed we had to cancel this trip, but what can we get on the calendar for spring that you can commit to? and arrange other, you know, arrange backup childcare for or just give your daughter enough notice for. I also think the letter writer should plan one or two trips with friends, if possible, friends or your own children, um, just because your husband has something else that he's really excited about now. And it feels like it would be a healthy balance for you to have something outside of him to be excited about or something that doesn't rely on him.
2: I think like we, 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 a lot of us fear change on some level. It's not always selfish to have this happen. Although I think selfishness is a little bit of a factor here too, or at least like tunnel vision. Um, but like, I think it's important to like feel and acknowledge what she is going through, but not to turn and make those feelings like the burden of her partner who's really excited maybe, or like her stepdaughter who's like expecting a child. Right. Like it's, you can feel and acknowledge those things without, And even maybe express them to a point to Mm -hmm. like others in your family without like, it sounds like that's the only part that she's focused on and she's not really moving on from that to like, okay, like how can we find, I don't know, like a plan that sort of works for the, for everyone.
1: I think that's so smart. It's not just about, um, you know, what plans are we canceling and what trips can we get on the calendar? It's really about her saying to her partner, this, it feels like everything's changing, in terms of our family and your energy and our connection. And I'm just worried about how things are going to look for us in the future. And I think if she could find a way to say that to him, instead of just saying, I can't believe I have to cancel these tickets. They're not refundable. This is so annoying. It's so unfair. Yeah. Hopefully, if they have a good connection, that could lead to a healthier conversation. Hopefully he could reassure her. I don't get the impression she wants to be super involved in the babysitting, But hopefully he could say something or do something to ease her mind about the fact that they still will have fun together. They still will have a connection and she's not going to be put on the back burner just because the family is expanding. Absolutely. Okay. Our next question is titled, Diamonds Aren't Every Girl's Best Friend.
5: I got engaged this past March, and in the year leading up to it, I sent my fiance a bunch of rings as inspiration, either art deco or fantasy-inspired rings with multicolored stones. But the ring he actually got me is pretty much as far as I could have wanted. A slim gold band with a single diamond on top. The rest of the night was everything I could have ever dreamed of. We saw a show, he proposed on an NYC rooftop with a violinist and a professional photographer, followed by a swanky dinner, and he's constantly grabbing my hand saying how beautiful it looks on me. So I certainly don't think it's due to a lack of care on his part. The cost was also not an issue. Several rings I sent him were half the price of the one he got me. I was thinking of making a custom ring with a kind of halo around it and adding the extra embellishments and color I wanted, but I don't know how to bring this up with him without the eventual, why do you want to do that, since that's somewhat atypical of a wedding band, and the one time I tried, that is what he asked. Is there any way to bring this up without terribly hurting his feelings? Should I just try and let it go since he clearly did it with love, even if it was not to my taste?
1: I actually don't think trying to let it go would be a bad idea. But if you could let it go, you probably wouldn't have written this letter. So I'm not sure that's an option. I always say the, the period between engagement and an actual wedding the planning of the wedding all the conversations that go into it it's like premarital counseling even if you're not in premarital counseling because it's it's boot camp for making decisions together getting along as you're planning your wedding you're learning about how to work as a team what your values are about family friends money etiquette your public image tipping it's all going to come up and you're going to have to have hard conversations that you never have before and I feel the issue about this ring falls into this category, right? This is like marriage training. I mean, think about the previous letter we read. These people are retired, and they're still learning how to compromise and how to deal when one person wants one thing and somebody else likes another thing. So think of this as an exercise on how to how to be married. Think of this conf- resolving this conflict as practice for many other conflicts that are going to come up in the future
2: that's a really good point i I really love what you said too about how if they could let this go they would have Mm -hmm. because the whole time i was listening to the letter i'm thinking like the say nothing route is truly the easiest yeah in this case and it sounds like they're kind of thinking about it and maybe trying to address it through like designing a wedding band i think is the intention with different colored gemstones or whatever and if you went that route, I don't actually think it needs to lead to a long discussion unless you want it to. Mm-hmm. Like if he asks why you can say, I think it would be pretty. I yeah. like the way it looks like it doesn't really need to go much beyond that or you don't have to bring up that you don't like your engagement ring, but um I don't know. And then I started analyzing myself, like why was my reaction to try to let it go? I don't know. Me too. Like it does seem like the fiance got the letter writer a ring you know, more to his taste than to theirs. And it would be one thing if they'd never shown him what sort of jewelry they like, but Mm -hmm. there were like multiple examples. So part of me was like, this is sort of an unforced error, you know, like you could have sort of taken the hints and figured out, okay, this is her style.
1: Well, not only that, it sounds like at one point she said what she liked and he said, why would you want to do that? Or why do you like that? And sort of dismissed it. That was the part that sort of was a little concerning to me.
2: Right. Not because the ring is the most important thing, exactly. But like, if there is like a deeper issue, maybe it is just like, and I don't want to read too much into this one thing. Is it possible he thinks his way is just right? Or it doesn't really matter? Like what what the the letter writer would prefer? Like, I, I don't know. Like, and that's probably like too much guessing really based on what's here.
1: Or is it possible that he's so clueless about jewelry that he somehow thinks this is similar?
2: Like, Certainly the letter writer could go a more direct route and try to say something about it. Like, you know, I love you and I know you chose this ring out of love for me. It's just maybe not something I would have chosen for myself. Would you be okay at, with like maybe looking at rings and choosing one together, but I don't think there's a way to do that without hurting his feelings. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the question really becomes like, how important is this to you? Right. Um, and if it is like no judgment, like, Do you think the ring will grow on you or do you just like really hate it? Do you actively not want to wear it for the next however many years? Mm -hmm. Um, And like, if you could address this issue another way, like through a custom wedding band or something else, maybe just like hoping that eventually he gets the hit about what kind of jewelry you actually like. There will be other gifts, right? Um, Does it bother you enough to speak up and deal with any potential? Out. It's not like I think they break up over it, but I don't see a way where he has zero feelings, right? Zero bad feelings about about it if if they bring it up,
1: right? I think I think they have to know that if they do bring it up, he might react negatively, and that's not the end of the world, right? It, he might have some negative feelings, but I think, and I, I'm hoping you two have like a pretty good foundation as a couple because you just got engaged. I hope you could overcome that. So I liked what you said about prefacing it by saying, I love you. I'm so excited about getting engaged. This wasn't quite what I had in mind. I wrote down the note, shit sandwich, you know, the infamous way of giving feedback, that managers give feedback at work. You're doing great. Um, Unfortunately, you're not meeting your deliverables, but we think you have a lot of potential and we'd love to keep you on the team if you can continue (laughs) to improve. So, I think if I have to come down concretely on say something or don't say something, I'm going to say say something because, again, it bothered you enough to write this letter and you're not having an easy time letting it go. But don't say something with the expectation that it'll be a super easy breezy conversation. Say something with the expectation that it might be tough and that you're going to have to deal with that to get what you want. And that is what you're probably going to have to do. You know, more times in this relationship, keep an eye out for him not caring what you think or getting mad at you. I think um, the normal emotions we can expect are being a little hurt, a little offended, a little surprised, maybe a little down. But the red flag emotions that we'd want to look out for in that conversation would be anger um, or total dismissiveness or silent treatment or something like that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think if we're misreading how much it bothers the letter writer, Um, like if they wrote this letter, but it's actually not a huge deal to them, like, I think you could refrain from saying something, but if it really is bothering you, like, it seems like you have the answer to that question. Like, just like, how much does this bother you? Mm -hmm. Um, then I think just try to say it again with the expectation that like, there isn't really a way to totally safeguard his feelings. Right. Um, but I, I love your point about how this is not like a test, But like, it's just one more opportunity, I suppose, or it could be to see how you communicate about kind of a harder sensitive topic Mm -hmm. um, and how you move forward together.
1: Yeah, we believe in you. You can do it. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us.
0: Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like... Book bans. The book banning side, they have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
4: Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family.
0: New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now.
1: Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with Nicole to answer your letters, and the next one is titled Happily Adoptive.
4: I was adopted when I was a toddler. I was removed from my biological mother's care after she locked me in a closet for several days, and I had to be hospitalized. My adoptive parents are amazing and the only real parents that I need— I have no desire to reach out to people I just happen to share DNA with. My girlfriend, on the other hand, was adopted from overseas as an infant. She is also of a different race than her parents. She loves them, but she is unmoored about not knowing her origins. She has traveled twice to look for her roots and turned up nothing. I understand why she wants to know about her biological family. I can't understand why she is obsessed with mine. It is very easy to find my biological relatives." I know their names, and we even live in the same city as several of my half-siblings. They are all MAGA maniacs and other unpleasantness if their social media is anything to go by. I don't want that kind of mess in my life. My girlfriend doesn't get why I won't reach out and give him a chance. I tell her she needs to drop the subject, but she keeps bringing it up. How do I get through to her?
1: So, Nicole, this is kind of my on the nose question for you, because you've written a book about adoption and about finding your biological family and um, all the emotions around that. So I wonder if you could tell listeners who don't know a little bit about that experience and just how it might inform how you read this letter.
2: Oh, sure. Um, so I grew up in a uh, transracial adoption. My adoptive parents are white. I'm Korean American. Uh, I was born to Korean American immigrants who moved here like just a couple of years before I was born. And it was a totally closed adoption. That was the era that I was adopted in. So that means like I had no information about them. So when I get older and I'm really curious and I'm starting to think about looking for them, it was like a whole process of going through a third party intermediary to petition the court in the state of Washington for my original birth certificate. Um... And then like an- another long process to sort of reach out through her and get consent to share information and all of that, the whole thing. And like back to this letter, like I, I just want to stress, like there's no one way to be an mm-hmm. adoptee and like even my experience, which I guess is certainly relevant and uh, to how I would approach this question, you know, my experience as an adoptee definitely informs how I thought about this. Like I have reconnected with my birth family but, like I remember when I was learning like some distressing things about like that history and their lives before my adoption. And it was really clear that a close relationship with with my birth mother, for example, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't be easy or like in my best interest, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I remember saying to a friend, like, I have some dysfunction in my own family, meaning like my adoptive family." Already, I don't actually need Mm -hmm. more. (laughs) Like, I don't need this part. And I have a lot of, I'm lucky to count a lot of fellow adoptees as friends. And I can think of so many different, like, angles and perspectives that they come to their adoption with. We all have different experiences. It's important to listen and respect each other's families and decisions. Like, again, I don't think there's a right way to approach this. So, Letter writers' girlfriends should really be hearing and respecting their wishes right. in this. Um, it sounds like they have like real reasons to want to maintain like this distance, this boundary. It sounds like they believe it's really the healthiest decision for them. Um unfortunately, there are some adoptees who really seem to think that like, you know, there is just one way to be an adoptee. And yeah, you I was like, gonna
1: ask you that. Is yeah. there I guess, a debate around this in the adoptee community or do people who don't want to find their biological parents get a hard time or face pressure?
2: I mean, it's hard to say. Like, there's – I really can't, like, speak to everybody's Mm -hmm. experience. I do think um, it's mixed. Most of – like I said, the adoptees I'm close to, like, are incredibly sensitive to and respectful about, like, where everybody, like, fellow adoptees are coming from. I never personally felt, like, pushed or pressured – Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily by adoptees. It was like growing up. Other people would always Mm -hmm. ask me, like, aren't you curious about your birth family? Like, don't you want to know who they are? Like, how will you ever know who you are if you don't find them? Like that pressure was not coming from fellow adopted people. So, I mean, but that said, like, I don't know. I have sometimes talked with adoptees and felt like, and this is, I want to stress like a very small minority of the ones that I've encountered, um, but where they really do, and it's co- often coming, I think, from a genuine place of pain, mm-hmm. um, but they really just can't fathom or understand why another adoptee might feel really differently about something like a search or Um I don't think that's most of us at all. But yeah. there are probably people out there, I guess.
1: I think coming from a, coming from a genuine place of pain sort of
2: Absolutely. Exactly
1: applies to this letter. It sounds like the girlfriend feels a little lost and is really desperate to know about her own roots um, and her own origins and is just, is putting that on the letter writer, which is inappropriate. And I I feel like one sign of maturity, and I don't think the girlfriend is at this level yet, is just kind of knowing and being at peace with the fact that everybody doesn't want what you want. So that goes for career, what their relationship looks like, what their connection with their parents looks like um, their body, their health, every everybody does not want what you want. It's a hard thing to accept. But once you do, it makes it a lot easier to deal with other humans.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, of course there's no reason why the letter writer should feel the same way as their girlfriend. And I think the girlfriend needs to understand and really accept that this is how they feel. Like mm-hmm. the letter writer. As for like what to actually suggest, I mean it's hard. I don't know like I don't know like how important it is like for them to hang on to this relationship. It sounds to me like this is a pretty fundamental failure of empathy mm-hmm. on the girlfriend's part. and like, it could be very much an issue of pain or maturity. And I doubt that it's malicious. Right. I can also really sympathize with her, like really wanting to find information about her own adoption. Um, but to me, like it just, it really feels like she's refusing to consider the letter writer's perspective and experience as an adoptee and respect that. And if she can't hear and respect the way they feel about something this important, my my, my question was like, what else is she not getting or not totally. respecting? Mm-hmm. Um, they could try to just refuse to discuss this with her any longer and like be ready if she brings it up, um, especially in a pressuring way, like be ready to end the conversation or walk away. But like in a relationship, it's hard to do. And I don't know right. how many times you can do that without threatening or feeling like the relationship is threatened.
1: Right. Yeah. I do think it's worth escalating this to your pressure is becoming a a deal breaker for me level. Um, Because again, I think it does reflect a lack of empathy and just a lack of respect for where the letter writer is coming from. And I don't know that the letter writer has told the girlfriend that this is really, really bothering them. Right. So I think the first step is just a conversation about the conversation you know we keep i've noticed we keep going back and forth about this i see where you're coming from but it's actually really upsetting me that you keep pressuring me can you stop and then sit back and observe and you know now that she clearly has the information that you don't want to be harangued any longer and if she keeps doing it then you know i'm not saying break up right away i'm saying put a note in her file for the mid-year relationship review that this person doesn't listen to me about you know respecting my feelings
2: yeah. I mean, I'll just say too, like they, like adoption affects adoptees throughout our lives in different ways. Even if we're like very happily adopted as this person is, even if we like don't want to search, have no interest in that, like it's going to continue to like be some sort of issue, I think in letter writer's life. Like, I don't know, like you just want, I think you want to know that your like significant other or partner is there for like whatever you're thinking or feeling about Mm -hmm. something that is such a big part of your life. And it really seems like the girlfriend is only open, like insofar as she understands or agrees or has the same feelings. And that's not how it's supposed to work, you know?
1: Right. So it's ultimately selfish.
2: Yeah. I I would, again, it just feels like a failure of empathy on her part. And maybe you don't break up right away, or maybe this is something you can talk about and move past. Uh, That would be great. But yeah, I, I just think it really needs to be a conversation, a pretty serious one.
1: Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the more I realize the issue isn't really about adoption. It's about bullying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, about, it's just about respecting you know your partner's right to walk through life in the way they choose.
2: Yeah. And feel things even if you don't understand or have the same feelings, right?
1: Exactly. Okay. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break. But when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Nicole and I are ready to tackle our last question of the day. Nicole, are you ready? Yep. This letter is titled Lost Along the Way.
6: Recently, a close friend of mine started dating a new girl. They hit it off instantly. Things have been going great for them, and I fully support them together. He is truly a golden soul. I want him to be happy, and it seems like he truly is with her. Here's the thing. She is not okay with him, male, early 30s, cisgender, heterosexual, being friends with me, female, 20-something, cisgender, bisexual, because of my gender, sexual orientation, and past history. We hooked up a few times when we first met, but there was never any romantic attraction. This was a year ago. I understand why she's concerned and why she wouldn't want us to be friends, and from what I know, she's been cheated on in the past, which makes it even more difficult. From day one, I genuinely just wanted a friendship with him. I've supported his relationship with her from the start. When his car died, I drove him to his date with her. I did everything I could to be kind and welcoming. I truly want him to be happy, and she seems like a great person for him. I don't know what I did or where I went wrong to make her dislike me and distrust me. I want him to do what's best for him, and she gets angry at him anytime he hangs out with me. I'd love to hang out with them both, but she doesn't seem open to that either. He said he felt guilty for pulling away from our friendship, and he was having trouble doing it, even though I kept telling him I was okay with it. It hurts to lose him as a friend. I don't have many, and I really do love him platonically, but I'm okay with ending our friendship if it means she won't continue to be upset with him. If we don't stop being friends, then it will continue to cause a riff in his relationship with her, and that's the last possible thing I would want. He deserves the world, and she gives it to him. I would never want to do anything to jeopardize his happiness, and if it means losing one of my closest friends, I'm okay with that. How can I best support him?
1: This letter writer sounds like a great person and is so pure and genuine. So the letter writer asks, I don't know what I did or where I went wrong to make her dislike me you had sex with her boyfriend. In the past, you didn't do anything wrong, but that is why she dislikes you. There are all these other details. There are all these questions. This is the truth. She thinks that he was attracted to you, whether, you know, you say it wasn't romantically, it was at least physically. She's worried that he still is attracted to you. And that makes her unsettled. It makes her jealous. She may not worry that he's actually going to cheat with you, but she worries that He's hanging out with you and admiring you, liking you, thinking about being with you, using some of his emotion on you that she would rather have used on her. Is it a healthy feeling? I don't know. I think maybe in an ideal world, she'd probably be so confident um, in herself and trusting in him and so able to see the good in you that this would be a total non-issue and you'd all hang out and have a great time together, but we're not in a perfect world. What do you think, Nicole?
2: Yeah, that's a really good summary. I I understand like I guess where the the new girlfriend is coming from a little bit, but like to me like the it feels a little bit excessive getting mad like every single time they hang out. Mm-hmm. Like and also the individual hangouts are not the problem. Like well as far as new girlfriend sees it, like the the problem for her is like the whole friendship, the fact that they see mm-hmm. each other at all. Um and it's tough. I mean, I do think the letter writer and the um her her friend, their friend need to figure out together, like, you know, do you want to lose a friendship over this or not? Um I don't think it's entirely like in the new girlfriend's control, is what I'm saying. Right. Like, and it seems to me like the first step maybe while acknowledging that she feels that way and that this is like an ongoing source of tension, like while you are still friends talk about like how important is that relationship to you like Mm -hmm. do you see do you think it's something worth like kind of fighting to keep right and I don't think it's a great sign for the relationship the new relationship that there's this much mistrust even if I understand like history has informed it a little bit like I don't know I think that's also a conversation that the friend needs to have with his new girlfriend but yeah it's like there are like some decisions to make. And I, I have kind of having a hard time saying like, oh, I think this decision is what you need to do. Like let the friendship go or not. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you, ha- you have to really talk about how you're feeling and what you want first.
1: And I think I think the, the good thing is the letter writer doesn't actually have to make a decision. Um, it's not up to her to say we're going to end the friendship or we're not, or our friendship comes first or your relationship comes first. You just have to be there. The, this guy gets to decide. He gets to decide if he wants to risk his relationship to be friends with you. I don't even think you should be carrying that burden.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I thought it was weird how s- parts of this letter were seemed like it were like it was written like as almost as if the friend doesn't have that agency, right? You know, but he does. Even if he isn't sure what to do, he's being indecisive, or maybe he's being passive, or like, of course, like he's probably having feelings about feeling forced to choose. Mm-hmm. But like ultimately, like you say, this is. The choice he needs to make? And again, like conversation, what does he want? It, it still matters what the letter writer wants, but like I don't think they're really in the driver's seat here.
1: So yeah, I think the letter writer can say to him, I don't want to ruin this relationship for you. I'm not going to force you to be friends with me. If you need to pull back, I understand. But also maybe think about what that means for your friendship with him going forward. Is it that I'll be here. If you guys break up, I can't wait to be good friends again. Or is it if I don't hear from you for six months while you tend to your relationship, we've probably, that's probably the end of our friendship. So I think the idea is to say what you will do now and in the future rather than telling him what to do.
2: Yeah. And like, I agree with you that the letter writer sounds like a very like Like, they're trying to approach this from a very kind and selfless place. Mm -hmm. But, like, their feelings do matter, too, even though they don't control, ultimately, like, what's going to happen with the friendship. They do have, like, choices to make, as you say, about, like, are they going to be there in the future? You know, like, what do they actually want? And then, like, tending to their own emotional, like, fallout, Mm -hmm. whatever happens, I think is important. Because they haven't done anything wrong here.
1: No, they haven't. Um,
2: And so, you know, they shouldn't feel, like, badly it seems like there's a lot of guilt maybe Mm -hmm. about, and like, I want to say there's no reason to feel guilty. You did not like cause this situation. Um, You're involved in it. And, but like you did not cause it. You didn't do anything wrong. So just try not to also beat yourself up about it.
1: Mm -hmm. As you were talking, I thought, I wonder if there is a first step, which is asking him to ask the girlfriend, whether there's anything that would make her comfortable with the friendship. And, yeah. I mean, I live in the world. I've been, you know, in similar situations. The answer is no. If she's jealous and uncomfortable, she's jealous and uncomfortable. But, um, maybe there are questions she needs answered. Maybe there are certain, um, contexts for hanging out that she's more comfortable with than others. It's worth trying. Maybe there's a conversation that she wants to have with a letter writer. Perhaps maybe there's been a misunderstanding that needs to be cleared up. Um, I think it's worth dedicating a little bit of energy to whether, this situation could be repaired and everyone could live happily ever after. But if that's not the case, then letter writer, I think you have to remind your friend that this decision is in his hands and it's his responsibility. I also just want to add, I think so many women have been in this situation, probably men too, but just having a great friend and getting cut off when that friend enters a relationship or gets married. It's just a really kind of understandable, but really unfortunate pattern that I think happens a lot.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I I don't know it's like hard enough to without shouldering the burden of like believing it's your fault, right? Like it just is what it is.
1: Yeah. And you can't, you can't change other
2: people's feelings. So
1: good luck. Okay. Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Nicole.
2: Thanks so much. I enjoyed it too.
1: For more of Nicole, go to nicolechung.net and subscribe to her newsletter. You'll get to read her thoughts on building a sustainable writing practice, books and articles she's reading, current and future projects, and other obsessions. You can also follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Nicole S.J. Chung. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-P-R. Ie, The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
2: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we're looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola De Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.
6: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.